May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Be seated. This morning we continue on in John chapter 6. We've been there for a number of weeks and we have one more week to go. I hope you've uh, found it enriching to meditate on this very important chapter of the Gospel of John. There's so many... um, Truths here and just central truths uh, of the Christian faith. Um, issues of belief and unbelief, life and death. And um, this is a really a turning point in the Gospel of John, as we'll see uh, next week, as Jesus challenges the crowd to follow him, even though some of these things are difficult for them to accept. And people are confronted with that challenge to trust in his word or not. But this morning, I want to reflect again on the meaning of Jesus's words here. I am the bread of life and his offer of eternal life to those who eat of this bread. Jesus says in verse 50. And it's not in our bulletin, but he he says, whoever eats this bread will not die. And then verse 51. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And then verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And so what Jesus is offering here is the answer to one of our deepest fears, longings, deepest fear of death or longing for eternal life. Did you see the videos that came out of China with these explosions? The first video, the first blast was great fireball. And then, you know, the second blast, which I read was the equivalent of 21 tons of TNT, an enormous uh, blast. And uh, I saw a video of a store camera near the site when it when that second blast hit. I don't know if you saw this image, but there was a store camera. And in an instant, that store was gone and everybody in it. And when you do things like that, you're just reminded of the brevity of our life on earth. And this gospel, the, the, the biblical truth that's quoted throughout Scripture, especially the Psalms, that our life here is like a vapor, like a breath. But Jesus comes to offer eternal life. Um. As Christians, we're not obsessed with death. We're obsessed with life. And that's why we talk about death, because the solution to death is the life of Christ. Secularism says there's really no solution to death. It's an unpleasant fact, but you have to just kind of put it out of your mind and get on with life. Make the most of it. Be as useful as you can. But it's a natural part of life. That's what the secular world says. It's unpleasant, but... Try not to think about it too much. It's just a part of life. Christianity says, no, it's not a part of life. Not the way God intended it to be. It's a consequence of sin. It's a consequence of the fall. And Jesus has come to give us life. In this passage, John teaches us again, these are going to be some basic truths that we've heard many of us before, but we need to. We need to uh, remember these truths and trust in them again and again. But in this passage, 
Jesus teaches us that life in him starts with death, with his death. That Jesus' death is the way to eternal life. That's at the beginning of our passage where he talks about offering up his flesh. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The logic of Scripture is this, that uh, sin is separation from God. Our rebellion against God, our desire to put ourselves on the throne to live apart from God and not to enthrone God in our lives, that separates us from Him. God is the source of life, so when we're separated from Him, we're spiritually dead. Physical death is a consequence or a sign of spiritual separation from God. But Jesus' death is a sacrifice for sin. And if we trust in his sacrificial death, we're united to God. We're united to the source of eternal life. And we can live with that life and in that life now and forever. There are some people who reject this understanding of Jesus' death as a sacrifice for sin. I'm well aware of that. There was a I uh, just read this week about the founder, one of the founders of modern liberal theology, Frederick Schleiermacher. In the 19th century, he um, lost his faith in biblical Christianity. He was raised in a parent, uh, pastor's home. His parents taught him the Bible. But he wrote a letter early in his studies back to his dad, and he said, I can no longer believe in the vicarious atonement of Jesus Christ because Jesus never expressly talked about his death as a vicarious sacrifice, as a sacrifice on behalf of others. This is what Schleimacher said. So I'm dropping that. And he said some other things. And he just walked away from biblical Christianity. And with that, he, he began to create the Jesus of his own mind and not the Jesus of the Bible. wasn't thinking in conformity to the Jesus of Scripture And it's true that Jesus maybe never said the words vicarious sacrifice to talk about his death. That was maybe not on his lips, that terminology. But that idea is repeated again and again in his own understanding of what his death meant. He saw it in sacrificial terms. He saw his death as a ransom. Mark 10.45, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. And when we celebrate communion uh, every Sunday, we hear the words of Jesus again. This is my body. This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. There's no doubt that Jesus saw his death as a sacrifice for sin that would remove the penalty of sin and make a way for us to enter into eternal life. And uh, that's clear, not only in the words here that we just read, where Jesus talks about giving his flesh, he's talking about his crucifixion, his sacrifice. It's not only clear there, but it's clear from the context of John chapter 6, where John makes sure that we understand that this was taking place during the Passover. John 6, 4. Now the Passover, the feast of Jews, was at hand. And so the Passover was about sacrifice. The Passover was about God saving the people of Israel through the sacrifice, through the blood of a lamb. You remember what happened that first Passover. God had the people of Israel. Each family was to sacrifice a lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. 
And then the angel of God's wrath would pass over those houses that were marked with the blood of the Lamb, marking them as the people of God. And every year the Jews remembered that they had been delivered by sacrifice at the Passover. And that's the context here. And so this crowd, this Jewish crowd, when they heard Jesus talk about His blood and His flesh that would be given for them, they would understand this in sacrificial terms. They would understand that Jesus is saying, I am the Passover lamb. The the Passover was pointing to me and my work. Put your trust in my death, my sacrifice, for your deliverance, for your ransom, for your redemption now. And you'll have eternal life. You could be freed from the penalty of death. Free from being enslaved to the fear of death and separation from God. And so that's that's what's going on here. Jesus's death is the way to eternal life. I use this illustration sometimes in certain sermons at funerals. Maybe you've heard this before, but it's one of my favorite illustrations by a pastor named Donald Barnhouse who was a great preacher and a great illustrator of spiritual truths, his wife died in his middle years. Uh, Dr. Barnhouse's wife died. He had young kids, and he was taking his kids to his wife's funeral, and he was trying to encourage them. He's trying to think of a way. What can I say to these kids to encourage them? Imagine that. And um, they, they stopped at a crossing, and there was a truck ahead of them, and this truck cast a shadow in the snow-covered fields by the car. So he said to his kids, I want you to look out there and look at that shadow. And he said, would you rather be hit by the truck or the shadow, kids? And the littlest one piped up and said, Dad, obviously the shadow of the truck, it can't hurt anybody. And he said, you're right, son. And I want you to know that Jesus took the truck of death. He took the full hit of death so that we don't have to suffer the truck. We don't have to suffer the full penalty. Um, so that death will never destroy us. And he said, Mom lives with Jesus now. Only the shadow of death has passed over her. So the, the way to life, the way to life is through the death of Jesus Christ. He absorbed that penalty in his own body for us. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's calling the crowd and he's calling us to trust this, to put our faith in him. He wants to give us life. He wants us to experience the eternal life of God. And so he says, come to me, believe in me, put your trust in me. And this is not just a matter of intellectual faith. Of course, it involves that, that I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose for eternal life. And that is an article of faith that I believe intellectually. But Jesus is calling them to believe this with their heart, with their mind, to give themselves to him and to let him into their life. It's the difference between saying, I believe this rope can hold me and then letting go and hanging on to the rope. And that's what Jesus is calling this crowd to do and all of us to do, to give ourselves over and trust to him. That's what the imagery of eating his body and drinking his blood is all about. Uh, It's a metaphor for taking him into our lives and trusting in his death for eternal life. Some commentators, and we'll get to this in a minute, that some commentators believe that this, this language of eating the body and the blood of Christ is a reference to Jesus to, to the Eucharist, that Jesus is predicting the Eucharist. We're going to talk about it in a minute. It certainly applies to the Eucharist, 
But I think it's mainly a metaphor for belief, for trust, for coming to him. And that, that's been the main emphasis in John chapter six. If you take this chapter and just kind of circle or make notes of every time you come across the word believe, believe or unbelief or come to me or even back it up a little bit and see John chapter five. It's all a conflict over believing in Jesus. Jesus is in conflict with the religious authorities. This is all about faith in him. And what Jesus is doing is he's ratcheting up the language and intensifying the language and making more graphic to talk about that. But he says in verse 35, whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's not talking about eating or drinking at this point. It's believe in me. And you won't hunger. Believe in me and you won't thirst. In verse 40, everyone who looks on the son and believes in him will have eternal life. Nothing about eating or drinking at this point in verse 40 to look on the son and to believe in him is enough for eternal life. It's sufficient. But then Jesus increases the intensity of the language, still metaphorical. He's substituting drinking and eating for believing and coming. So verse 53, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Shocking language to these Jews. It was against the Jewish law to drink blood. Jesus is trying to get their attention. He's using this graphic language. In verse 54, he becomes even more forceful. Not only must you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, but you must feed on the flesh of the Son of Man. You must feed. It's not a one-time act of coming to faith in Jesus Christ. He's saying, I want you to continually to rely on me, to take me in continually. Verse 56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, and here's one of John's favorite words, abides in me. If you take me in, if you trust in me continually, you will abide in me. Remember John 15, Jesus uses the image of a vine and a branch to talk about abiding. I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branch. Abide in me. Apart from me, you can't do anything. But if you abide in me, if you remain in me, then you will bear much fruit. The relationship of a disciple with Jesus Christ is one of abiding, of remaining, of clinging, of connecting, grabbing on to him in the hope of eternal life. So if you're feeding on him, if you're trusting in him, Jesus says, you will live because he has eternal life within himself. Verse 57, as the living father sent me, I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, whoever's in this trusting, abiding relationship with me will also live because of me. If you're united to Christ through faith, he gives you the gift of eternal life. St. Augustine in commenting on John 6 said to believe on him is to eat the living bread. He who believes eats. And so I wonder today, are you feeding on Christ? Trusting in Christ, clinging to Christ in the midst of doubt, in the midst of difficulty, fear about the future is Christ your sustenance, your hope. David Watson was a was an Anglican priest, very well known in his days, and he was diagnosed with cancer in his middle ages and given a year to live. 
And he wrote this book about his struggles during this time, a real struggle with doubt and with fear. He said, you know, I preached thousands of thousands of people for decades that I'm not afraid to die because in Jesus there's eternal life. He said, but then I got this diagnosis and he talks about waking up in the hospital in a cold sweat numerous times, just assailed with doubt and fear. And uh, what he had to do is remind himself of why he believed what he believed. He said, you know, there's no one else in history I would rather trust my future to than Jesus Christ. Everybody has to trust somebody, especially when it comes to this. You've got to trust in somebody. And he said in, in, in the hospitals, the doctors and the nurses were terrific. They were great. But he said, I asked one doctor, I said, um, what hope can you give a man who's dying? The doctor said, nothing at all. I can't give him hope. Science, medicine can't give him hope. And so he was drawn back to Christ and he said, I am going to trust in Jesus. I believe in the resurrection of Christ. There are good reasons to believe that Jesus is alive. He said, I'd experienced the presence of God in Jesus Christ. I'm going to cling to him. And that's how Christians go through these difficult times. These sleepless nights, weathering storms of doubt by feeding on Christ Remembering why we believe what we believe, believing his word, seeking his presence, trusting that his crucified body and his poured out blood is for us. I want to say a few words here in conclusion here uh, about how this does apply to the Eucharist. Again, I don't think Jesus is predicting the Eucharist here in this section of John. Some commentators take it that way, but I I just don't think Jesus is teaching that you have to eat the elements of the Eucharist in order to have eternal life. I think what he's teaching is you have to believe in me to have eternal life. It's a metaphor for belief, but certainly when John wrote these words, and when the first Christians read these words, they would be thinking of the Eucharist. There's no way around it. This does apply to the Eucharist. The Eucharist is where these truths come alive. You see, the Eucharist is the supreme act of worship, corporate worship, that reminds us of these truths and calls us to faith in the sacrifice of Jesus in a fresh way. When we come to the table of the Lord, we should do what Jesus is calling us to do here in John chapter 6. When the bread is given to us, we need to believe once again that His body, His flesh was given to us for eternal life. When we drink the cup, we need to believe once again that the, that the blood that was shed on Calvary was shed for the forgiveness of my sin. And, and so each week as Anglicans, we are confronted, encouraged, comforted, strengthened again by the truth that Jesus is teaching in John 6. And we're experiencing that in a tangible way as we take the bread and we drink the cup. We believe that as Anglicans, we don't believe that Jesus is present substantially. We don't believe in transubstantiation, but we believe Christ is present spiritually to feed us sacramentally with his body and blood as we come to him in faith. And so the the Eucharist is a tangible, visible sign of these truths. And each Each Sunday, we're renewed in the truth of this. Jesus' blood was shed for us. 
His body was given to us. And we commune with Christ as we come in faith. You have to come in faith or it's an empty ritual. You have to come believing or it's not a means of grace. But if you come to the Lord's Supper in faith, it's a means of grace and comfort and strength as the articles put it. We are comforted. We are strengthened as we take the Lord's Supper. And haven't you experienced that in your life? There have been times in your life where you've been so aware of your failings, your sin. And you come to the Lord's table and you're just given this strength and reminder. So come this morning with your doubts and with your fears and with your suffering and ask the Lord to meet you at the, at the table. He's here to minister. We don't believe that it's just a memorial. We believe Jesus is here to minister to us through the bread and through the wine as we come in faith. It's more than a memorial. It's a ministry of the risen Christ. There's a story, I'll kind of close with this, but um, uh, a pastor, who, a preacher who was teaching on this used this illustration of, of a, a little girl who wanted to be tucked in at night. And um, so her daddy tucks her in and, and then she hollers out, Dad, I want to be tucked in some more. Tucks her in again, goes back to bed. A few minutes later, Daddy, I'm loose again. Come back. Tuck me back in. So he does that again, and, and, and he goes back a third time, and he says, Honey, you don't need to be afraid. And uh, she just says, I don't want to be alone. He said, Well, you're not alone. Jesus is with you. And she said, Well, I want somebody with skin on. And the point this pastor, this preacher was making is, in, in a way, the Lord's Supper is Jesus with skin on. Jesus with us in a tangible way. Jesus with us visibly is His body, His blood shed for us in a visible way is confronting us. And as we hold the bread and drink the wine, we receive again afresh the forgiveness of sins, the hope of eternal life. And so, be strengthened today as you come to the Lord's table. Let's pray. Help us to trust Your words, Lord Jesus. Thank You for Your sacrifice. Help us to live with this hope all the days of our life that You unite us to the life of God. You are God incarnate. You are God in the flesh. In you is life and life eternal. Help us, Lord, to share these truths with those who don't have this hope. And help us to be renewed today as we commune with you around the table. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.